0: They would go in and take, they were responsible for, uh, setting free the scapegoat. They were re- responsible for taking the sins of the people toward, to God because again, they have been, uh, completely, uh, uh chosen through the, their genealogy and, uh, through, uh, the training that they had received over the years. There in the second century, bribery had led to several reappointments, and the last high priests were appointed by government officials or are chosen by a lot. Um, according to tradition, uh, 18 high priests served in Solomon's temple from the years of nine, uh, uh, 960 and 580 BC, and in 60, in the second temple five uh, sixteen BC through uh, seventy a d through that time since that time, there has been no Jewish high priest for national sacrifice as it was permanently interrupted with the destruction of the second temple of Solomon. Um, and that goes through and' talked about that again in throughout the uh, the Old Testament. I go my notes I apologize. There's a lot of stuff here. Um, it talks about how it was clear from the high priesthood wasn't merely just a technical position, but one of great holiness. The first criterion any priest must be that he must meet the priestly descent, uh, be a direct descendant um, in the line of Aaron and being a, mo- uh, a male. Um, as long as there was a, a sitting High priest meets the key requirement, he's officially valid, and the service he uh, renders is 100% kosher, regardless of whether he possesses any of the uh, three qualities spoken earlier. Nevertheless, when appointing a high priest, the most qualified individual for world, world the holiest of holies, was sought. Um, I want to
1: interrupt you real quick. I want sure. to ask a quick question. Um, does it, uh, in, your, in your in your homework, does it give a... A lineage of of perhaps who these um high priests would have come from, I know you had said yeah.
0: Aaron, but does it is it, is it more specific than that it has to be it has to be a direct des- descendant that's all most that's all it's saying is a direct descendant of Aaron um see, I do remember reading something of that
2: Wow. Okay.
1: No, that's
0: good. I was just wondering if it had if it had mentioned oh, anything about the Levites. There was a mention in there about that. Okay, whenever a high priest dies or retires, the natural heir to the position uh, is his son, or if he has no son, the next closest suitable heir, provided that the son is truly a uh, curious uh, individual if he lacks uh, knowledge of the Torah and he's provided by the teacher or a teacher to instruct him. Um, If there is no son, or if there is not one deemed worthy to assume his father's position, then they will seek the person most qualified based upon the above criteria. Does that answer your question? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate
3: it. Can I add something to that, to your question, Sean? Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Okay. Okay. I was reading in Numbers 3.12, it says, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel in place of every firstborn Israelite from the womb. The Levites belong to me. And then in Numbers 3.45, it says, um, Take the Levites in place of all the firstborn of Israel. And the livestock of the Levites in place of their livestock. The Levites belong to me. I am the Lord. And from then on, it talks about the uh, Levites being the chosen uh, people of mm-hmm. God to become the high priest. Yep. And they were all from the uh, uh, family of Aaron. And
0: we if our, uh Life group last night we're going through um, our book of Joshua. We're in Joshua 22, and it was talking about how the Levites were uh, were in charge of the city of refuge, uh, where uh, during the time where they uh, somebody would was was the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and until the trial or the uh, the decision whether or not these persons were guilty of a accidental crime or a direct crime, they were sent to the, they were to go to this uh, city of refuge and which is ran by the Levites, which were a, um, uh, people that would, were a, it was a, um, forgive me. I'm having a hard time getting things out. Um, were a people that were, were, uh, non-judgmental and they were just uh, the people who would protect these folks during the time that they were the the trial or whatever was being going on so i think it's kind of interesting that the levites uh, were considered uh, holy and uh, just people and would be very appropriate for the high priesthood and again um there was talked about um Aaron, again, being a direct descendant of Aaron, which I think is really kind of interesting, is to when Aaron, when he, when Moses went to the top of the mountain to to receive the Ten Commandments, he had, they had built a golden cap, and it just shows how forgiving truly God is, and how He can use anybody to to work and do what it is that He uh, wants to get done. I, I, I think about again when I've talked about Rahab, how she. Uh, directly, blatantly lied when he she brought the spies in and, and hid them. Um, how God and then she became one of the people of the Hall of Fame, lack of a better word, you know, Fame of Honor. And I just thought, you know, so it just to mm-hmm. me it shows how God can use the uttermost to the uttermost to the guttermost. Mm-hmm. And he uses all people. And I think that he can he, he even uses me, which I think is really kind of inter you know, really needed how He could use a common man, an ordinary person, to do extraordinary work. And um, again, that's just a a, I hope I answered the question of the homework uh, the the way um, it was, I I answered the way in which I thought it was presented. So that's what I have. And I'll be happy to share my notes if you would like.
4: Yeah,
5: please do,
1: Ron. I would be interested in your notes as well, Ron, if you don't mind.
5: Yeah.
0: Thank you for your
5: work, Ron. Always, always grateful when anybody in the group is willing to do work throughout the week and then bring it and share it. So Ron, if I can put you on the spot two maybe two questions. Um, As you looked into that and and worked on that, how did kind of your research of the priesthood point forward to the work of Jesus? Um, How does it relate to who, when we say that Jesus is our Great High Priest. Um, what are some things you found that that pointed forward to him?
0: I I think that the fact that he was a direct because he is God, he was has a direct connection to the highest of all priests, and that he uh, and he was the <clears throat> he was the highest priest. I mean he he was the uh, the leader, the perfect one that could go before the the Father without being. Mm-hmm destroyed he 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 was the holiest the holy of holies mm-hmm. and he didn't need to have to go to a high priest to have his where well, there was no sin to forgive but to you know but he would be the one to come to does that answer your question
5: yeah that's really good i you know i the book of Hebrews is one of those books, for me at least, that I know is just like rich with all that uh, kind of like treasure of how Jesus is the fulfillment of the priests. And uh, I have yet to like like do a deep dive into Hebrews and make some really good connections there. But a, a couple, and I think you nailed it, is the fact that Jesus – didn't typically. So you mentioned Yom Kippur. Well, the high priest um, would have to make a sacrifice. He would have to kill an animal, shed its blood on his own behalf, before he could go into the holy of holies and, and then intercede for the people. And just the beauty of of Jesus uh, didn't have to sacrifice an animal into in order to um, intercede for us. He was the sacrifice, spotless, perfect. Um and then just the other thought too is how much Hebrews will emphasize that uh when when Jesus finished his work, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, and it's just this imagery of what he said on the cross that it's finished. And I love that is um you know, in Hebrews it stresses that the priest would have to come back and do this every year, and not just every year, but throughout the year on behalf of the people and behalf of himself. But Jesus, um, our sins were taken care of once and for all. It's finished. the The priest sits down. Um, he he doesn't need to go back in, and say, "Well, I got to go to the cross again because you know Ron messed up again." <laughs> no, it's once and for all. His His blood has covered our sin, past, present, future. So, Ron, thank you for your work.
0: All right, one more question. I've always I've always found that I've heard that. You know, when when Jesus said it is finished, it doesn't mean it's over. It just means paid in full.
5: Mm, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Paid in full. Um, yeah, there's so much good rest um, imagery there. Ron, one more question, and then I'll leave you alone. Um, but I'm grateful for all your work. As you looked at, at why God chose the priests from the Levites, and I, I heard you use holy language, which I think is really good, would you say that God chose the priests because they were holy, or because God chose the priests, they were
0: made holy? Does that question make sense? I, I think that there was a man-made law, that I believe that they that they got, received the word from the Lord, what the certain criteria would be. And I think, in their mind, the minds they believe that they heard from God that this is what the criteria was, and this was what made them holy in their teachings, in their traditions. Again, of the the qualifications, mm-hmm. and so I think that I think they are made holy once they have been appointed by these people who have appointed through through God. That mm-hmm. I think, but I think that we all, in many ways, are not. Priest is not the right word, but I think, that through Christ we are um, not that I take somebody else's sins before the, before God because we don't need that intercession. As you spoke earlier, we can go directly to. So, but I think in, I think that they were made holy through their. Um, through their training and through their sacrifices and through their traditions.
5: Mm -hmm. That's good. Thank you, Ron. One of the reasons I ask uh, in our men's discipleship group right now, we're going through the life of Gideon. And Ron, I appreciate what you said of like, to see that God would use very normal people like the Levites to do incredibly sacred and holy work shows that God will choose very normal people like us to do sacred and holy work. Um, And in in the life of Gideon, we're kind of coming back to this phrase over and over, that that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips those he calls. And that's a big difference. Uh, It's the difference between you and I feeling like, man, I got to be special, I got to do something amazing, I got to be the right kind of person that God would use, you know. and we put all this pressure on ourselves versus just humbly saying, you know, as it says in Ephesians, it's all a gift of grace from God so that none of us can boast. God didn't choose, and I would even say, you know, I love being an elder of the Well Madeira. God didn't choose me uh, to, to be an elder of the Well Madeira because I showed these great signs of, like, being an awesome elder. For some crazy reason, God um, would would select me and, and then... Um, you know, use good men around me to help me grow and transform me and then use me uh, to help serve serve the church. And so th- the beauty is that's all of us is um, there wasn't necessarily anything about special about me or us or um, even even the, the priest, but God selects them. He sets them apart and then he uses them for his purposes. And so to your point, Ron, I, that's why I want to ask that question is I think a lot of people feel like they have to be holy in order to be used by God, and instead saying, "God, you make me holy, and here's my life. Um, you know, consecrate me, use me." And that's it. It's a big difference in our thinking. So, anyway, thanks for your work, Ron. Uh, class, I just dropped
0: the notes into the the chat. Thank
5: you. Hey, Thank real you.
1: quick, before we go on, can 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 I just? Uh, uh, reference maybe our definitions from uh, maybe mm-hmm. a month or so ago and just real quickly um, define what holy means because mm-hmm. we're using the word. Yeah. And I think we believe it means that we must be perfect mm-hmm. or we must have some certain, as you said, some certain set of, of, of skills. And, and the truth is holy simply means that we're
5: set apart for God's purpose. It's mm. That's good. It's That's good. very simple. And he does the work, which we'll get back into from start to finish. He does the setting apart. So that's a good call, Sean, bring us back to defining words well. So, all right, well, let's, uh, let's turn on over to Romans 5. Romans 5, um, so some quick summary work here, and then we'll pick back up in, in verse 8. So, um, yeah, so verse 1 and 2, I'll just read that for us. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I think this is actually how we got to your question, Ron. It was, we were, we were summarizing this last week, that language of, through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace. And we were talking about how amazing it is that that Jesus is our high priest. And uh, he has clothed us in his righteousness. Therefore, now we can enter into the Holy of Holies. Where back in the day, only one person once a year um, during Yom Kippur could go into the, to the Holy of Holies. But now we get to be in the presence of God, in his throne room. We get to go before him and and call him our Father um, in the name of Jesus. So this this access has been given to all of us who believe in in Jesus through faith in his work. And so in 1 and 2, we we talked about this several weeks ago, but um, Paul is saying since we have peace with God, let's learn to live in it and to enjoy it. There's three things we receive from faith you see in the first two verses. Peace with God. The war is is over of being at enmity with God um, because of our rebellion against him. Uh, We've been given access to God, as we just talked about. And then third, um, in verse 2, hope in God, which is expectation of of approval and acceptance in his kingdom. And that cannot be taken from us. Uh, Then verse 3 and 4, not only that, but we rejoice And I'm still trying to get my my mind around these couple verses. I'd like to think that I believe this and could live this, but this one hits home for me. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So in verse 3 and 4 specifically, Paul's saying we can actually, as crazy as it may sound, rejoice in troubles, trials, and even persecution when the world comes up against us and and our belief in Jesus. And that uh, opposition and trials and persecution don't separate us from our position in Christ, but they prove it. They prove our position in Christ, and, and he even goes so far as to say they begin to produce in us endurance, character, and hope. Um, tough times, what they do is they help us see if our trust is really in God or in our circumstances. Um, and then verse 5, um, we talked about how hope, this hope that we have in Christ and not in our circumstances, doesn't put us to shame, Um The only hope that will never fail us or never let us down is hope in Christ, as we said earlier, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then verse 6 says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Another word for weak there is helpless. Not everybody's favorite word in in America where we live by the independence uh, narrative and self-sufficiency and you can do it. And, uh, but to actually be told, no, it was actually while we were weak and helpless um, that Christ died for us. Um, and yeah, to be reminded that the reason we need a Savior is a Savior is someone who does for you what you cannot do for yourself. And so this is sometimes, I think, one of the hardest parts of the gospel is for us to humble ourselves and say, oh, I don't get to earn or work my way to God by doing all these things from the law or being really religious or being really disciplined. Um, I don't don't get to kind of have a claim to fame for my salvation. My only claim is that I've sinned. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I was separated, dead in my old sinful nature and completely helpless. And if it weren't for the mercy of God uh, coming in to save me, I would have stayed in that state. In uh, verse uh, 7 and 8, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. So I was thinking about it this way. Um, we celebrate the heroes who lay down their life for, for people they love or people they care about. And that amazes us. I mean, I'm just amazed by those stories as you think about people who have protected and laid down their life for those around them. So how much more should we be amazed by the gospel that that Jesus would actually not just lay down his life for very lovable, worthy people, but actually for people who were enemies Uh, who were mocking him, ridiculing him, telling him, hey, if you're really who you say you are, why don't you come down off the cross? And that's you and me in front of the cross, mocking and taunting God. And yet he's saying, I love you so much. I'll lay down my life for you, even when you're at war with me in your words and in your heart. How good is that God who wouldn't just die for lovable people, but die for people who are mocking him? Um, this is where Paul's beginning to develop the argument. So let's pick up from there. Uh, everybody caught up. And uh, if somebody could read verse 8, uh, we'll go from there. So somebody got verse 8?
1: But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.
5: What do you guys, anything, any observations Um, as Paul's kind of been building? I I think this is a a verse that probably pops for a lot of us, probably heard it quoted, heard it said before. Um, What do you guys see in there? What what grabs your attention as you see what Paul's saying in verse 8?
1: Dave, i think you i think you said it um well a moment ago that that you know paul makes the point that as as humans you know we <clears throat> we celebrate the people that 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 will that are heroes like just like you said mm-hmm. but christ is willing to die we, and 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 those those <clears throat> we celebrate the heroes that that'll that'll die or or they lay their life down occasionally mm-hmm. perhaps paul says um maybe even um, for those that they love, but Christ died for us, just like you said, while we were literally enemies of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's huge. We, we weren't, there was nothing good in us. It was nothing that turned us toward Christ. There was no redeemable value mm. um, that we brought to God. And I think that's really the key here is there, there really was nothing we brought.
5: Mm.
0: It was all Jesus. That's good. I, I, I think I look at the word the thing that says that, you know, while we were still sinners, and I think it's while we are still sinners, you know, but we are redeemed by Him, you know, not not we 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 because it to me is saying that we were, but we are no longer a sinner. But I think we are still sinners, but saved by grace. And I think that it's a different, you know, we're and are two different have two different meanings. Uh, so for me, it would be somewhat while while we are still sinners.
5: You, you think so? I think tell, me, I do. tell me more about that, Ron. I, I, I think that's a good place for us to maybe sit and talk about that a little bit, actually, because where we're headed, especially verse 12 and following, is going to be a lot about identity. Um, who are you? Who, who am I? Yeah. Um, I? And so I, I think what you're hitting on is identity, so I, I appreciate your observation, but I think it would be good for us to, to think through that together. So
0: yeah, tell me more. I think that the word were is a past tense and are is present. And so that's the way I see it. That, you know, it's just saying that, you know, we were a sinner, but we're no we're no longer a sinner, but we still are sin, but we're saved by that grace of God Christ dying for us. So I think it's a, a present and a yeah, yet it's a past, present and future. I think that the I think the inter you I know mean, who am I? I'm not a I'm not a um, linguistic, but I just think that the it just—it's it's more than just work. I think it, the word "r" just encompasses the whole—the whole, the whole yeah. gamut.
5: I think it's a good. I I think it's a great spot for us to maybe talk about the difference between. Um, and John, I've I've heard you say this quite a bit. I think I've stolen it from either you or Sean. Most all my theology I've stolen from John or Sean over the years, but uh, so you guys feel free to jump in um, and and share. But I think this is a good opportunity for us, and I think we will several times moving forward to talk about the difference between sin uh, and sins, sin nature, um, and then uh, sins we commit. Right, and so maybe John or Sean, could I pick on you guys a little mm-hmm. bit to maybe. Define for us um, as Paul uses it, as the Bible uses it, the difference between sin um, as nature and then sins as either um, omission or commission. Connie, I know you have a definition of sins. Um, I've heard you use it before if you got that on the top of your head. But if you got your coffee and you don't want to share, that's fine too. (laughs) All curled up with your blankie in the corner.
3: (laughs) That's just when we child uh, evangelism fellowship anything we think say or do that breaks god's laws or makes him sad
5: yeah so i i love that i just i don't know why it makes me chuckle but also like hits home every time so what connie just said would be sins plural correct yeah. okay so then yeah maybe john or sean could you guys speak to that a little bit
2: well, I haven't been around for a while, so I'll, I'll I'll jump in and give give the rabbi a little break here. Yeah, because uh, I'm talking too uh, much to Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, can I back up just for a moment so we can kind of this? I think verse seven will help us jump into that. It says, "For one will scarcely die for a righteous person." Um. There are people in our lives, all of us, that we would say, "I would die for that person.
4: Mm. Uh,
2: I would lay down my life in a heartbeat." Um, uh, so people would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare die. And uh, you, you know, just you know, thinking through your mind, are who are those that you would lay down your your life for? Mm-hmm. there's a huge number of people I you know you can say I would I would give my life for them. But then he goes on to say and it shows God so loved the world that God uh, shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ would die for us. There's a difference here for us dying for a good person who we love and who we would care for to die. They're still sinners.
4: Mm-hmm. they
2: are still lost. And what Jesus is saying here—that uh, while we were sinners, that we were there was nothing in us that would would say He is worthy of me giving my life. Mm-hmm. He died for us, and so it goes back, I think, to the your question, that the difference that we see between sin and sinners is that the nature of us is when we when uh, Adam and Eve sinned their nature changed and they became they be, they took on the sin nature and um, and that we are there the progeny of that you know Apples produce apples, pears, pears, and so on. Adam produced children who have a nature that is separated from God, mm. and we are um, we are sinners. We are we are these when we're born. We're born the sons of Adam, mm. and uh, the sons of Adam produce sin, uh, or, or produce sins. Excuse me. And so the fruit of sin, that nature, are sins. And so um, we have to distinguish between the two. It's important because um, God um, he reconciled us while we were enemies, and that's a it's an interesting word. We were against God hmm. because of our nature. Hmm. Uh, it was a, its enemies are a, a war language hmm. and we were warring against God. and so uh, not only did he have to uh, forgive us of our sins, the, the the fruit of that nature, he had to eradicate hmm. that sin nature
4: hmm.
2: because he could have forgiven all of our sins, but the nature that we have inside of us from Adam is a, at war with God himself. Hmm. So he gave us a new nature, the nature of Christ. And so um, this passage right here is very, very um, important. Again, hmm. we can go back, and I would lay down my life for my wife in a heartbeat.
4: Hmm.
2: She's still a sinner. I didn't say that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um And my my, laying down my life for my wife would preserve her her fleshy life, but it would not do anything for her spiritual life. Mm. And that's the contrast I I see here anyway. One of the contrasts, I see that the difference between what we could do for somebody and, uh, and the bulls and the lambs, the sacrifices we're not able to do, so um, we were we were at war with with you know uh, in our old nature with God, and so he blessed us
5: mm-hmm.
2: John, can I add something to that? No,
1: do you mind okay <laughs>
5: <laughs> was uh, that not enough yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: well just just to just to maybe bring it back to John since we're going through John currently. Um, remember when when Jesus said, you must be born again. Um,
4: mm-hmm. what,
1: is, what is he talking about? As John said, he's talking about how through Adam we are born, our condition, our character, our nature is to be rebellious against God. But when we're born again, God gives us a new nature. We are no longer considered a, a nature of sin, but now we are a, a, a different nature that is brought into reconciliation with God. And I think that's what Paul's bringing up here. While we were still sinners, we're no longer that old nature. We are considered. We are, we are, we are, uh, what's the word uh, that, that, that Paul uses? Um, we are reckoned righteous. Mm-hmm. We, we are, our nature has been changed. We are now a nature that there's no longer considered nature of sin. We do still sin. We mm-hmm. do still break God's laws, but our nature, because we're born again into a, a new nature, we no longer are considered a nature of sin. Does, does that help?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Sean, to jump on what what you said so well is, is that is an issue of faith.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it doesn't seem real to me mm-hmm. um, that that's possible. But by force of will, almost to um, believe what God has said is true of me, is is a daily battle.
4: Yeah. That
2: I am, you know, I, I I know myself. But He says that I am born again of a new nature, and I do not have to live in that old nature. Takes work; it, you have to strive to believe it. And through the Holy Spirit, he will he will draw you into owning that, to where you understand that I no longer have to walk in that Adam nature. I can walk and thrive in Christ, my new nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it is a it is a it is a battle of the mind, the will, and the heart to say, I choose to believe what God said is true of me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. God. I, God. I also find it really remarkable, not remarkable, I who God is, but how Christ, when he died, he died. It wasn't, there was no pride involved. I mm. mean, I, I could stand up and say, you know, I will die for my wife, but there, there's a pride there, I think, that we're going to look at, look what I can do. Then we become almost a martyr that way, but I think that Christ did it without any pride, mm. and it did it just a full sacrifice instead of... You know, our sin nature like it is, is to be proud. Look look what I am doing. Look at the sacrifice I'm making. But Christ didn't do it that way. He did it out of pure love.
5: Mm, that's good. And that reminds me, I'm still trying to get my head around this verse. I'm like, I'm asking the Holy Spirit, would you help me understand this? Because in Hebrews, it says that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the pain of the cross. And... So to your point Ron, rather than pride or I even think for me it sometimes when I'm sacri- when I'm quote unquote sacrificing something uh for somebody else, I can kind of be grumbly about it like well, you know, here I am, you know, like either pride well it's probably pride and like grumpiness of like here I am giving myself up for them, you know. <laughs> and uh Instead of pride or grumbling, uh, Jesus was driven by joy. And I, I don't understand that, but I would like to.
0: Um And he, did, he didn't have any expectations. I know when we when I do something, I have a not all it's just my sin nature again has expectations. Well, I do this for them, they should be doing this for me. Mm-hmm. And Christ didn't have that expectation. He just did it completely out of love and he was, he was being obedient to the Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that if, you know, when my earthly father says, you need to die for him, am I going to do that? Well, no, because what to, what, who made, who yeah. died made him king to tell me that I need to do this. But yeah. I'm saying that the Christ did it willingly without grumbling, without, you know, saying, look at me, look what I'm doing. Um, this perfect person is willing to, you know, I, I think that it, it's really uh, – I hate using the word remarkable because that—that that is who God is mm-hmm. but I'm just saying that it's not we would see it as being remarkable but yeah. it was what, what Christ came to do and he fulfilled his mission
5: yeah that's good and Ron I, I do I, I want you to know I'm grateful for your observation of like past tense present tense I think it's so key um, so key to um, where we're going and especially Romans 5 through 8 but I, I genuinely believe it's the difference for a Christian between living in confidence and victory in the spirit of God or in defeat and discouragement um, to understand your identity in Christ. And this is so key, whether you identify yourself as a sinner um, or if you identify yourself as now a saint in Christ. And we just talked about this, right, with a priest, um, you know, a priest set apart and made holy um, do you and I believe that though we don't feel like it, we still mess up, we, we still in our thinking, our speaking, our actions, we're, we still sin, but I no longer identify as a sinner. I've been called a son um, and, and brought into the family of God. I think of it this way, um, you know, Ron, imagine that you and Rhonda, um, maybe you got to know some of the kids at Juvenile Hall, and then there was... Uh, maybe, like, this this teenage boy um, that just, like, really um, you guys began to connect with. You began to hear his story, and you realize one of the reasons he was in juvenile hall is because he lost his parents at a young age and um, started acting out, and he's been kind of hopping for, through foster care his entire life. And you and Rhonda just your heart goes out to him, and, and you guys – crazily decide to adopt this teenager and so as soon as he gets out of juvenile hall you know you do the paperwork you go before the court all that and, and people who've done adoption tell me the most amazing moment is just that that moment when that uh, child goes from foster care system or orphan to now a son or a daughter you're in my family now and so imagine you you guys bring this this teenager into your home, and and you just want him to know you're loved, you're part of this family, you're a peacock now, um, that's who you are. Um, but imagine that he doubts that. Imagine that he actually still refers to himself as an orphan. Um, imagine that he says, you know, he just continues to doubt that he's part of the family. I imagine that would break your heart and Rhonda's heart, like, no, we want you to know you're part of our family. We love you. We brought you in. We want you to live in confidence that you're our son. And um, that's that's the gospel is it's the difference between, um, you know, someone understanding, hey, I don't feel like I deserve it, but I've been brought into the family of God. And now I get to identify as a son or as a daughter. Of God, and that goes back to John's point of you and I have to choose to believe that because every day there's going to be constant moments where we doubt that there's no way God loves me enough to call me a son. There's, there's, I mean, He knows my thoughts. He knows what's in my heart. He knows how far I've fallen short, Um, and so every day is going to be that wrestle, that struggle. Um, Do I believe that God is really this good? And that he has invited me into his family, he's adopted me, and that I get to call him my father. Um, and so I think that's the wrestle we're going to see as we keep working through Romans is do you and I believe it? And we have to choose to believe that every single day. And that's the difference uh, between walking in confidence as, as a child of God or still feeling like your identity is sinner, is um, separated from God. Um, so does that make sense
0: anybody else thoughts on that and then we'll keep moving forward I appreciate that because i I'm dealing with that personally right now with my my grand my grandchildren my mm-hmm. grandchildren were uh, my daughter gave them up three of them and they mm-hmm. were adopted by a family and they still struggle with a worthiness worth of uh, you know that they, this home they have a wonderful Christian home and I just said you know, God has given this to you. This is a yeah. gift to you, and your my daughter, your earth mother, gave you a wonderful gift by releasing you to these other other people to be adopted.
4: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, so that's a real concrete reminder to me of exactly what you're saying. And to Sean's point when he talked about you know how being born again made that word, in my mind, are, go back to where i appreciate that because it it made it more understandable to me than Mm -hmm. just you know because again where we are we're we're living in we're living in the path that christ has set us apart from which i think is just really it it hit home for me so Mm, i appreciate those uh explanations oh that's good that's awesome
5: it, just to be, I a, a hope, an encouragement, um, this is one of the reasons I, I have to stress over and over to myself, preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. And that means we daily, even moment by moment, are reminding ourselves of the truth because, um, man, Satan is sneaky and he wants to put all these doubts in us that we're not worthy of God's love there's no way he would lay down his life for us while we were enemies, or still enemy. He wants us to believe that rather than to believe the truth, because he knows when we believe the truth, we'll begin to, as to your point, Ron, we'll see that God is remarkable uh, when we truly believe that this is what He would do for us. Um, all right, well let's keep let's keep blazing forward. Verse verse nine. Huh? <laughs> uh, Since therefore. Uh, We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. In verse 10, uh, similar to how John mentions 7 and 8 connect, I'd say 9 and 10 really connect. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Uh, so thoughts on, on 9, 10, 11.
1: Yeah, real quick, what, is, uh, what does it mean to be justified? It says we have now been justified by his blood. You remember what justified means?
0: The Greek word came from the Greek word equipped.
1: Okay. Do you, do you remember what it means in, in particularly in this context
0: be declared righteous before god
1: yeah it's yeah. a legal word right yes yeah good
0: to be set free be free of guilt hmm.
1: yeah that's what well it doesn't said. mean
0: you're not guilty but just it just means you are found uh you are found you are not you not you're not not guilty but you're found to be not guilty hmm. yeah that's a Great way of saying it. Kind of like O.J. Simpson, he was he was acquitted, but he was not. I mean, I I, I think that he was still guilty, but he was acquitted. Hmm.
1: Are you saying the glove doesn't fit any of us?
0: <laughs> if, it, if it doesn't fit, you must. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. You must acquit.
5: Oh man, I don't even know where to go from here on that one. Um, I would. <laughs> that's a great. Ex- that was a leap, but it was a great example, Ron. Uh, I love it. I love it. Well, one thing, yeah, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. That I, I'm more and more amazed. Um, or I'm going to just keep using your word, Ron. Remarkable. Remarkable is a good word. Um, by justification, is not only is our guilt forgiven, and another way of saying it is is our debt of sin has been paid for. the work of Christ but the the other edge of the sword of justification is we've been given the righteousness of Christ so that's the beauty of justification is not only have we been forgiven but we've also been given the riches of Christ Um, The way to think about that is our debt was covered and then we're clothed with um, the righteousness of Jesus so so now the father looks at the, the perfect life Death, resurrection of Jesus, and and we get included in that, which is just amazing to me. But Sean, any other thoughts on justification? I'm glad you stopped us no. there. Okay, I think I
1: think Ron did a great job yeah. uh, uh, clearing that up for us.
5: That's good. Um, Thank you, OJ. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, keep bring keep bringing that one back, Ron. That's good. Um, so verse, yeah, so verse, where are we at? 9, 10, 11. I think kind of a key connecting idea, Paul, as he is talking about justification, I think a theme he's driving home here is is we can be confident Jesus will finish what he started. And matter of fact, we, we talked about it is finished. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Um, and so Paul's argument in 9 is if Jesus went uh, to all that work on the cross to provide your justification, so right to cover your, your debt, clothe you in his righteousness, if you went to all that work on the cross, you can be confident that he'll see your salvation all the way to the finish line. Look back to the cross. Look at what he went through so that you could be reconciled, brought back in. Actually, hold on. Let me, let's ask that question. What's it mean to be reconciled?
0: Again, it comes from the Greek word meaning change or exchange. To exchange, change.
5: Okay, what um what do you guys think when Paul uses the word, um, in nine and ten to be reconciled specifically ten, uh, what's that referring to?
1: Dave, for me, it it moves me right back to verse one where it says that. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace mm-hmm. with God. Um, it reminds me uh, of of the brokenness at the tree, at the 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 deciding to define good and evil for ourselves and not trusting in God's definition. Um, we become enemies of God because we no longer trust, and we no longer trust. The Creator that's literally given us everything, mm-hmm. um, every life, literally everything, mm-hmm. and and to be reconciled for me means that we are no longer in that broken relationship mm. with God that was that was fractured at the tree. We we now have we are now in relationship mm. with God. We stand justified. We're no longer
0: we were sinners, Ron. Mm. That's good. And, and it, it also, I in place implies a, a change in attitude. Mm.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Ron, what would you say that, or anybody I should say, what is that change in attitude?
0: It's not all about
5: us. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good place to start, huh? Uh, Sorry, Sean, I lost track of time here. I realize it's almost seven. So what we'll do is uh, I'll pick back up and probably just do a quick next week summary of of, uh, nine through 11. And we'll just kind of reinforce that idea that if Jesus did this two thousand years ago on our behalf, what's that mean for us today? And how does that give us confidence? Or in the language of Paul, not just confidence, but I'm convinced, right, that Christ will see my sanctification and my glorification to its end. And so uh, we'll we'll kind of summarize that, and that'll pick up some steam into verse twelve for us next week. But Sean, do you want to wrap up with our our questions? Uh.
1: Yeah, what? I'm I'm thinking how to how to word this, but yeah. but man, I, you know, I, I I what is what does this really tell us about God's love for us? Not just about mm. God's character, but God's love for us. In that, um, again, while we were still sinners, what what does this tell us about God's love? How valuable are are we to to God? Mm. Yeah. It's incredible. And I think I think it's a you know it's a rhetorical question, obviously. We've kind of talked all all morning about how how God is, has reconciled us. And so yeah, to me this is this is incredible. And 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 to kind of uh maybe project forward a little bit, the, the next chapter is really going to talk about the difference between our um sins mm-hmm. and sinners Mm -hmm. like john will say so well that we um there's sins and then there's sinner like a a a condition and an action Mm -hmm. and and i and and i'm really looking forward to to talking through that that's probably going to take a while. but uh what does this tell us about mankind though Mm. what we read today what does it tell us about mankind
2: in in uh well, in relation to God, just going back to um, the idea that we were enemies, we were at war with God in our nature. There was nothing that um, it, it, it's it's a battle, uh, and um, He, through His blood, His death, burial, resurrection. Um, made available a reconciliation or a restoration of our um our place our design um and he has um he has defeated death mm. and um he has has restored us in to what he wanted us to be mm. it's an ongoing thing it's not it's not finished yet. It will be. I mean, it is finished, but uh, we're working through that. When we when we die, uh, we're going to um, be just like him. Mm-hmm. Just Man,
1: like John. Him. I really like the word you use, restored. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. what is, what is he restoring us to? If we look back at our Genesis class, we're being restored to to pre fall. Right. Our we're condition pre-fall. is pre fall.
4: Hmm.
2: Yes, as yes, you know, uh, can't pull up his name. I still got a foggy brain, but he, uh, the, Dave, helped me with is it, um, um, imagers, uh, the author of the book. Um, you know, we are we we were imagers designed to be the images. Imagers oh, of God. Um, yeah, um, Michael Heiser. Heiser. Yeah. yeah. So
5: mm-hmm.
2: that um, if if we were in created to be his imagers uh, in, in the garden how much more are we going to be uh, imagers of him as we are um, uh, become joint heirs of Jesus Christ uh, in reality it's, it's it is stunningly boggling mm-hmm. to what God has done for us mm-hmm. And um, it's just, it's just beginning.
1: Yeah. John. I also like what you mentioned earlier about how it takes faith. It's something that we have to, and Dave said, we have to preach a gospel to us, to ourselves daily. That's hard to, hard to, hard to believe. It's hard to believe that we were enemies of God. Hmm. um, And that now we're not. Uh, It's, yeah, it's incredible to me. Yeah. I was
3: going to say also that um, going back to Genesis again, God has always been loving and forgiving and consistent from Genesis to today. Hmm. And us as, as mankind, we have also remained the same from the time of Adam and Eve's fall. And from Genesis to today, we still have that sinful nature, you know, after the fall of Adam and Eve. And so only Jesus, as God had also said in Genesis, Jesus was the only one that could bridge that gap, that hmm. broken relationship from, you know, from the beginning. So it's it pretty much comes full circle, basically, from Genesis to today and back to Genesis.
1: Hmm. Always proud I'm, of the life when she brings it back to Genesis. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think it just shows our, you know, how how much we need Christ,
4: hmm.
0: how um, much we need, you know, and then. That, you know, he doesn't need us for fellowship. He doesn't need us to, for but we, we need him for everything that we are and what we, everything. I'm just, I mean, it encompasses, everything is everything.
5: How good is this stuff, man? Mm-hmm. So good. is so, what
0: dying for.
5: Yeah, so good. Well, uh, hey, John, oh, before... Stop. What's that? I don't want to stop. I know. Guys, I'm really enjoying our our very slow trek through Romans. But I'm, I'm learning so much together with you guys. And uh, John, before we go, um, between now and next week, would you be willing to be thinking about when we get to verse 12, I'm going to get into kind of some source, position, nature, fruit stuff that we've talked about and sin nature and the fruit that comes from it. I've heard you give some really good examples about Adam as the representative head of humanity. You've mentioned kind of your life tied up in your, your, let's say, your great-grandfather out in the field, right? I've heard that example, and it's really resonated with me over the years. Would you be willing to to, uh, share uh, a little bit on that next week when we get to 12? Yeah, I'll
2: just use that example. and Okay. Um, kind of help us work through what that looks like. And, yeah. And so, um, yeah, be glad to do that.
5: Thank you. I think that'll be really helpful. It's really made past couple of years Romans five. It's brought a lot of clarity for me. So, um, I if you're willing to do that, I think that'd be helpful for us. So, cool. Well, uh, let me pray for us, and I'd love to pray for you. Um, and uh, I hope uh, I hope you heal up. And uh, let us know if you need anything, all right?
3: Thank you.
5: Okay. Father, we we love you. Um, As John said, how good is this stuff? I think about how even the word gospel means good news. It means joy news. Uh, Joy, uh, good news or great news that brings great joy. And even experiencing that together this morning to think about how we were once enemies and now we've been made friends of God um, through faith alone in Jesus. That is good news Uh, when we begin to recognize what we deserved as sinners, but now what we've been given as a gift from you. uh, That is good news, and we just say thank you. Lord, we lift up Anne. Um, Sorry that she's hurting, and uh, Lord, we pray that you would heal her. Uh, we ask um, that, yeah, you would just help get her up um, moving and walking around and re- restore her body. Yeah. Um, so, Lord, we just pray that you'd be with her and, um, yeah, help her to come back to full strength and just so grateful for Ann. She's just such a, a consistent, faithful part of this class, a part of the church. I thank you for um the way that she helps keep us connected and communicates every week of of what we can be studying and learning and always, always grateful for her really good questions that makes us all think and and how she brings us back to Genesis too. Grateful for that. So Lord, we really care for her. We know that you love her so much. So help her to heal up in Jesus name. Amen.
4: Hey.
1: hey, can I can I encourage you guys before we take off
5: to
4: maybe read um, five?